John 18, 28 through 40, and this will be the ESV version. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to, fill, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I may not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he, after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Thank you, Jessica. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you for the joy it is to be together. And thank you for meeting with us. Your promise is that when we gather together in your name, just like this, that you would be with us. Thank you for that. Pray that this morning you would help us to have hearts and minds that are open, that we would receive from you this morning, and maybe even receive from you uh, through one another. Lord, help us. Amen. Let's just wait for a moment. I find that sometimes it's helpful to um, just breathe, just be still, and wait on the Lord. So let's just take a moment. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Lord Jesus, we invite your presence into the, the deepest parts of our being. Won't you be the 
center of attention this morning. Captivate our affections. Oh, Jesus, won't you speak? Amen. All of my life, I'm 47, for as long as I can remember, I've always heard about Jesus. I grew up in a family, Christians, my parents were Christians. They became Christians um, before I was around. Um, as far back as I can remember, my parents uh, would pray. My sister and brothers and I, every night at bed, we would pray before our meals. We would go to church on Sundays. I remember getting baptized when I was around 10, something like that. It was a long time ago. But I've always heard about Jesus. He's always been a part of my life. I can't remember a single time in my life when Jesus wasn't somehow in my, my mind. Um, I reckon that's not true for everyone in the room. Um, probably if you grew up in the western part of the world, that's probably uh, true in that you were at least aware that there was this person that we call Jesus who lived a long time ago, who influenced the world, certainly influenced the ancient world. He was some kind of teacher, Jewish rabbi. And so maybe like me, you could also think, yeah, I've, I've, I've been thinking about Jesus for a long time. He's at least been somewhere in the periphery of my mind. There was a point in my life when I began to realize that um, there, there, was, there, was a, there was something that I believed about Jesus, um, informed by all that I had heard about Jesus, um, that wasn't necessarily a conscious decision that I had made. Um, it was just things that I had heard about him, uh, mostly good things, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, it wasn't, he wasn't a controversial figure. He wasn't associated with any sort of abuse or negative emotions. Um, but I realized that my opinion or my understanding of Jesus was largely informed by what other people had told me about him. And then in my early 20s, I began to wonder if perhaps I, I shouldn't evaluate and figure out, well, what do I... What do I believe about Jesus? Do I agree with everything that's been told, that I've been told about Jesus? Um, does it make sense to me? Does it align with my actual like, experience of life? Or am I just going along with, with, uh, what, with what I was told to believe? Um, and so I went on a bit of a journey in my early 20s. Um, eventually, I realized I realized that I wasn't a Christian. 
Not because someone told me I wasn't, but in my own thinking, I realized, oh, I, I know a lot about Jesus, but I suppose if I'm to be very honest with myself, I don't think that what I know about him necessarily aligns with how I'm living my life or my actual belief system. So um, I guess you could say I, I decided I wasn't going to keep calling myself a follower of Jesus or a believer or a Christian anymore because I, I didn't want to be a hypocrite. So I had that moment, and then I continued on the journey, and eventually I realized um, Jesus was more than just something or someone that I had been told to believe in, but, but Jesus was alive, and Jesus was pursuing me. And Jesus was more than just an idea or a spiritual abstraction or just a, a set of ideolo like ideology. Jesus was alive. And the Spirit of Christ was pursuing me. And I had to sort of come to terms with the fact that, like, wow, there's, there's more to this than just believing certain things. Jesus is inviting me into this real life experience, a relationship, if you will, with him. And so I made a decision to actually become a Christian. After getting baptized when I was a little kid and growing up in church, it took like nearly 20 years for me to figure out that Jesus was something real to me. Um, now, in John 18, we're just given a snapshot, um, an encounter between Jesus and this a Roman governor, some kind of a Roman leader named Pilate, and his interaction with Jesus. Jesus has finally been handed over by the, the Jewish people, the religious leaders of his time. They want him dead because Israel was under Roman rule. The Jewish people, even the leaders, weren't allowed to actually execute um, a person. So they had to appeal to the, the powers that be and that brought him to Pilate to say, this man needs to be put to death. And now Pilate, he's clearly aware of Jesus. He's heard, presumably, he's heard some things about him. For sure, he would have seen the, the big parade that just took place as Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Hey, this is Pilate's area. He would have been well aware of what the people were saying about this so-called king. And so Pilate asked him the question, are you? Are you who the people say you are? Are you the king of the Jews? And as we just read, Jesus asks him, are you asking me personally, or is it just because you've, you've heard some things about me? Why are you asking me? As always, Jesus is making his way uh, to the heart. He's, he's questioning his motives. Why do you want to know? That's an important question. Whatever you think about Jesus, whatever you have come to believe, personally, is true about Jesus, why you may ask the question 
Who are you, Jesus? Are you who they say they are? Why you ask the question really matters. It makes a difference. Is he just a curiosity? Did you just happen to pick up the annual issue of Time Magazine where Jesus made the cover again? Has there ever been a year in the history of Time Magazine that Jesus didn't make the cover at one point? You guys know what I'm talking about. It always astounds me when I get in the line at Safeway to see Jesus on the cover of the magazine again. Why do you ask? Why do you want to know? Is it personal? Or is it political? The Jews want you crucified. And they sort of need me. And I'm curious. Are you who you claim to be? Or who they say you are? Why do you want to know? Um, Of course, Pilate gets a little defensive. As we do. What am I a Jew? What do you mean? Why am I asking Your own people delivered you over and betrayed you unto death, asking me why I'm wondering. Can't help but detect a hint of defensiveness. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of the world. You want to know if I'm a king? Okay. Okay. Yep, that's what everyone's saying. That's what the word on the street is. I'm the king of the Jews. Um, But I don't think you know what that means. I think you have a category in your mind for what king is supposed to mean. Um, But you need to understand that my kingdom, it's not like any kingdom in this world. And I'm certainly not like any kind of king that you've ever experienced. Ah, so you are a king. Pilate. Jesus is actually trying to have a very meaningful, like significant, helping him. Like, let's, let me, let me help you understand who I really am and what I'm doing here. Pilate seems to be caught up in this sort of defensive, kind of like, well, I'm just, you're not going to question me. And ah, ha, ha, you are a king. You just admitted it. So you are a king. And Jesus, he says, okay. Um, If you say so. You say I'm a king. Fine. But let me tell you what I'm really doing here. I've come here to bear witness to the truth. That's why I'm here. I'm here to reveal to the world the truth about primarily who God is. This is how John actually begins his letter. He says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word would have been like the the divine, uh, creative mind that is behind all that's been created, all that exists, reality, as it were. So the idea of truth would have been another way to think about, like, true reality. And behind it all, at its essence, in its core, you have the creator. Not just 
sort of what we might think of as philosophical truth, but the essence of truth, which in Jesus' mind is more than just um, facts or data. It is something deeply personal, a person, which is why Jesus actually called himself the truth. And Pilate famously responds, what is truth? What is truth? Um, We watched Lord of the Rings last night. Anyone been getting into the Ring of Power? Rings of Power? One, two, three. Okay. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. So we're into it. And needless to say, we're like, all right, let's get back. We got to go back, watch Lord of the Rings. So we watched Lord of the Rings last night. It took, what, four hours? Such a long movie. Shirley went to bed. Uh, What an epic. What an epic story. When I read through the Gospel of John, I think, what an epic story. It's really meant to be experienced in a single setting, like Lord of the Rings. I don't know how many hours it might take you. Probably a solid hour if you read it out loud to get through all 21 chapters of John with like the appropriate theatrical pauses and the voices and everything. But it's meant to be read like an epic tale. And as we're reading it, as we're walking with Jesus and sort of finding ourselves in these moments where a minute ago it was, it was Peter and his interaction with the, the high priestly family in the courtyard and his denial and how he ended up forsaking Jesus. And, and, and now, now we're with Jesus and, and Pilate and we're, we're getting to sort of like, like watch these interactions and imagine like what, what if I was there? What if I, I think I would probably respond a bit like Pilate. I would probably have similar questions. Or maybe you can relate with Peter and you remember that one time when it felt like you had denied Jesus. At this point in the story, when Pilate famously poses the question, what is truth? I think we would immediately think back to that that part in the story, um, John chapter 14, where he's having the conversation with his disciples. He says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you, but I'm coming again, and when I do, I'm going to take you with me to be where I am, and you know the way. And Thomas, one of his disciples, famously responds, saying, we don't know where you're going, actually, much less Do we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. What is truth? Hmm. What is truth? What is ultimate reality? What is God's perspective? What is God really like? 
didn't answer the question, or perhaps Pilate didn't wait around for him to even respond. But my goodness, as we're in the story, this is, um, this is quite a moment. This is quite a moment. What is truth? Long pause, fade to black. Can't you um, hear the music? Can you feel the moment? Jesus is on trial. You know, his crucifixion is like imminent. Could you imagine if this was being read to you for the first time? You, you didn't know what happened. You, you certainly heard all of the rumors. No, 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 no. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. I've heard, I've heard the stories. But now I'm actually listening to the story being told. What is truth? What's going to happen next? <clears throat> After he'd said this, Pilate went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. It's a nice custom. So do you want me to release to you your king, the king of the Jews? They cried out, no, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Barabbas was a robber. Jesus told a story about a robber. You guys remember that? It's one of Jesus' parables. Back in John chapter 10. Can I show you guys something? I know I say that every week. You're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. John chapter 10. Truly, truly. You want to talk about truth. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold, but, sorry, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The thief comes only to steal kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus, he contrasts the good shepherd and the thief. The good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep because he loves them versus the one who comes in another way, the thief and the robber whose only agenda is to steal, kill, and ultimately destroy. They're really only in it for what they can get and when the wolf appears, when push comes to shove, the thief is like a hired hand who's going to leave the flock. 
And he contrasts these two kinds of... Oh, and by the way, this comes within the context of another one of Jesus' famous sort of confrontational moments with the religious leaders in his day. And he's trying to help the people understand that the kind of kingdom that I'm setting up, the kind of kingdom that I am, it's unlike what you've experienced thus far. But for some reason, the people always want the robber. The people chose Barabbas, or the Jewish leaders, I should say. And when given the choice between this king that Jesus was offering and the robber, or some translations say the insurrectionist, he was, um, Barabbas was like some kind of mercenary. When given the choice between the mercenary king and the good shepherd, it would seem there's something in us, a propensity, a tendency to choose the hired hand. Let Barabbas go free. Crucify Jesus. <clears throat> there's, um, gosh, that's basically it. Right now, anything else I say beyond this is really going to be like theological sort of reflection. Like, what is John really saying? Like, that's the story. That's what happened. But what, is, what, are, we, what are we meant to sort of get from this? Is there a warning? Is there an encouragement? Are we meant to sort of like rethink? Like, what do I understand about Jesus Maybe we start there. Who do you say Jesus is? What's your understanding of the king? And are we perhaps just like the rest of humanity in our propensity to choose Barabbas over the good shepherd? If given the choice. I wonder, I wonder. What's the good news in the midst of all that? Where's the hope I think that there is something true about us, like people, normal people, just like us, just like them. Um, we like the idea of a king who we can barter with. The hired hand, uh, the mercenary king, if you will. We know that if we if, if we pay him enough, if we hire him, if we perform for him, if we, if, we, if we get the exchange just right, then we can expect that king, that mercenary king, that hired hand or that robber to, to do what we want him to do for us. And so there's, um, yeah, the notion that if, if I, well, let's see, if I uh, give, if I um, pray, if I, if I believe all the right things, if I perfect my religious performance, if I'm just good enough, 
then the hired hand is under obligation to do what I need him to do for me, i.e. bless me and heal me and help me and, and do all the things that God is supposed to do for me. Isn't that true? Isn't, it, isn't that sort of how we we're tempted to think of like our relationship with God? He's a bit like a mercenary king. He'll fight for me. He'll be strong for me. He'll help me as long as I pay him, as long as I meet my end of the bargain. But what happens when I um, don't? What happens when I fail? What happens when I run out of steam? What happens when I begin to wane in my uh, determination? Will he still be there for me? Or is God more like a shepherd, a good shepherd, a king who doesn't wait for me to meet his expectations before he'll lay his life down for me? This is the good news. This is where hope lies. This is, this is I believe, the reflection that John is presenting to us, the, the gospel writer, John. And I don't think um, the, the offer to pick between Jesus or Barabbas, um, it's not simply a decision we make one time. It's, it's more like the longer I follow Jesus, the more I'm like trying to figure out like how to be a Christian, the more I realize like this is almost like a daily, weekly, monthly, minute by minute, like I, I'm always wanting to sort of like pick the mercenary king over the good shepherd. Because I'm always relapsing into this old sort of mindset that actually God is waiting for me. God is expecting me to get it together, to do it right, to pray more, to believe harder, to do all the things, and then in exchange, he'll help me. He'll be God for me. He'll do all the things. And you know what? I mentioned this last week. I'm beginning to believe, I'm, I'm convinced actually, that so many of us will end up having crises of faith because we have believed for so long that God is more like a mercenary king. We want a Barabbas when Jesus offers us himself, the good shepherd king. I'm expecting God to be more like the mercenary that I can sort of exchange religious goods with. And if I'm moral enough, and if I pray hard, and if I do all of the things right, then God will be obligated to bless me until I run out of steam. And then he's gone. And he lets me down. That mercenary king lets me down over and over and over again because guess what? Like I'm never going to be perfect enough. I'm never going to get it all right. I remember... I remember when I was in college, standing in the bathroom, like the health clinic on our campus, um, standing in the bathroom, looking in the mirror, uh, just before I was about to see the, like the student doctor, looking in the mirror, looking at myself, this is kind of weird, saying, God, 
if you get me out of this, I promise I'll be good. I'll promise I'll get it right. I promise to do whatever you say. And I was having this sort of like, God, I'm begging you. I'll do whatever you want if you do such and such for me. I was, I was actually getting tested for, um, for STDs. I'd gotten a call from an old girlfriend who said, hey, you should probably go to the clinic on campus. I'm like, why? Well, I don't do the math. We've been together, I've been with some other people, and I got a call yesterday, you should go get tested. Have you ever gotten that call? That is not a fun call. You'll get religious real quick when you get that call. Oh, God, help me. And I looked in that mirror and I bartered with God. God, I promise I'll be good. I'll prom- I promise I'll do better. Just please don't punish me. That's the mercenary king. Now, it's also very human. I mean, who hasn't, like, prayed that prayer? It's not like a theologically correct prayer. It's not a very gospel prayer, but it's a pretty human prayer. God, I'll do better. Please don't punish me. Yeah. And I think that God's more like Barabbas, the mercenary king, the robber, the hired hand. The shepherd that works for a fee, where Jesus is the good shepherd, the true shepherd, the king that, that lays his life down for us while we're still his enemies. This is the good news. While I was dead in my sin, God in Christ loved me and gave his life for me. And now he invites me to follow him. That, that, that flips religion right on its head. Religion, quote unquote religion, this idea of making God into a mercenary king says, if I do fill in the blank, if I perform and do religion well, then God, fill in the blank. If I stop sinning, then God will not punish me. If I pray enough, give enough, serve enough, am good enough, then God will bless me. Okay, that's, that's the religious formula. And some of you are like, wait, wait, I thought that's what we believed. Is that what we believe? <laughs> Here's the truth. Because God is rich in mercy and died for me while I was still dead in my trespasses, because God, I can. Because God has, therefore, I give. Therefore, I worship. Therefore, I serve. Therefore, I enjoy. Therefore, I'm free. Everything in my life becomes a response. I'm no longer bartering with God to get him to not punish me or to get him to bless me or to get him to do something for me because he's my mercenary king. No, because God, because God did it, because God loved me first, because God met me when I wasn't even looking for him, because God started wooing me when I was running from him, because he died for me while I was still opposed to him. Because God, 
I get to experience a life rich in worship, defined by gratitude, where it's my great joy to sacrifice, to obey, to give, to live a life that honors him. God has, therefore. That's the truth. That's the gospel. That is the good shepherd. And we must be reminded. Uh, maybe every Sunday. Like, no, no, no. Don't, don't ask for Barabbas. Trust me. It's tempting. It's tempting to hire the mercenary king. He will fail you. He will leave you, and he will forsake you. As soon as you fail, he will leave you just in a puddle of shame. The true king is a good shepherd who's not waiting for you to get it right. Who comes running after you when you're all confused when you're broken, when you feel unworthy, when you're the least. This is the good shepherd. This is the true king. So what do you believe about Jesus? What do you think? Have you settled for the mercenary king? Have you chosen Barabbas, the robber? Maybe you have. If I had to guess, I would say probably half of you have. It's such a human thing to do. My invitation, uh, my challenge would be um, change your mind. Change your mind. Um, How can I put this pastorally? Uh, You're totally wrong. You're totally wrong. God's better than you, you think he is. He's kinder than you can fathom. He's not waiting for you to get yourself all put together. His mercy is greater than all of that. He wants to set you free so that you can enjoy a life of radical obedience and sacrifice. Not to earn his affection, but because you have just been showered in grace just heart overflowing with love. God has, therefore, we worship. Can we stand together, please? Can I invite the worship team to join me up front? We're going to uh, receive communion now. This is our weekly tradition, as it were. Um, We receive communion. We don't take it. That's why we have people holding the elements. It's our sort of, I guess you could say it's it's an expression. We serve each other. Um, the way Jesus serves us. We receive the gift 
That's always our starting point. We love because he first loved us. We give our lives because he first gave his life for us. When Jesus went to the cross, um, he gave his body and blood. He died for us. It's not that God just overlooks our sin. He doesn't just somehow be like, oh, it's not that bad. I just love you so much. Don't worry about it. Mm -mm, mm -mm. No, God sees our sin. He knows what it does. It's serious. It's really, really serious. But instead of God just pointing his finger down at us, saying, do better, I'll be waiting for you upstairs. God comes down and he dies for us and then invites us to receive his gift and then invites us to experience new life. It's his death on the cross that makes it true. It makes it real. It makes it more than just sentiment. It's something that God actually did for us at a very particular point in time. It's historical fact. Jesus died for us, and he's alive. So when we receive communion, it's our way of remembering, yes, this is, this is the truth. This is, this is who God really is. This is what he's like. And today I choose Jesus. I'm not going to settle for a robber, not a thief, not a hired hand. I choose the good shepherd, and I receive his sacrifice for me, for us. And if you would like to do that this morning, then I invite you um, receive communion. If you're not ready for that, if you're not even still sure what that means, then there's no pressure. You can just stay in the pew, have a, have a moment, quiet. But if you would like to receive this morning, then I invite you. The communion tables are open. There's gluten-free on this side if you'd like that. Regular on both sides whenever you're ready.